Welcome to the Optimist Futures Podcast, a place to learn from an industry insider with over 20 years of experience in commodity futures and options. Gain insight to the newest technology, platforms, risk management, trading philosophy, and advice about the current state of the futures and options markets. For futures trading platforms, deep discounts trading commissions, overnight margins, and instructional videos, feel free to visit our website at optimistfutures.com. Please remember that this matter should be viewed as a solicitation to trade. Trading futures and options involves substantial risk of loss and is not suitable for all investors. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results. You should therefore carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for you in light of your financial condition. Optimist Futures LLC is not affiliated with, nor does it endorse any trading system, methodologies, newsletter, or similar service. We urge you to conduct your own due diligence. Now, here's your host, founder and CEO of Optimus Futures, Matt Zimberg. Hi guys, this is uh, Matt Z. Welcome to our podcast. Today, I have a special guest who will talk to us about algorithmic and systematic trading. His name is Kevin Davey. I thought it would be really relevant to bring him today because the world of algos, HFTs, has completely taken over the exchanges in all asset classes. We're talking about stocks, commodities, um, institutional forex. So I thought somebody who has been in trading uh, or in automated trading for such a long time can also give you a perspective. He trades his own systems. He builds his own systems. So without further ado, here's Kevin David. Oh, well, thanks for having me, Matt. It's a pleasure to talk to you and your audience. Thank you. So what I'm going to uh, go uh, through right now is just a bunch of questions. Pick your brains on automation. And again, you know, I'm very curious to see what you think of those things. But before we get there, can you tell me how you got started in trading in general? Okay. I got started probably the way a lot of people out there get started. I received something through the mail. Uh, this was 20 more. So this was good old U.S. You know, paper mail. It wasn't an email ad or anything like that. But it was the same kind of thing where it was a pamphlet and it talked about commodity trading. And I hadn't really heard much about it before that point, but I read through this pamphlet which showed how much money you could make trading. And in particular, it showed the sugar market, which had recently gone through uh, this huge bull market. And the approach that this person was taking was, well, if you had got near the bottom based on a chart pattern and then kept adding all, uh, you'd probably have millions by now. And uh, you know, the funny thing was that I saw that and I was like, wow, this is great. you know." You can actually make a ton of money and, and not have to work that hard. And, of course, this pamphlet didn't really talk about the risks involved and didn't say, well, yeah, this hypothetical example has maybe 100 contracts of sugar on, and every time the price would drop, you'd go through this horrendous drawdown. I only saw the good side, and I, I remember buying the course because they had a money tee, and, and uh, as it turned out, it didn't work and I was able to get my money back but at that point I was hooked and ever since that point I've continuously just looked for new ways to trade commodities in the futures markets 
Understood. Um, actually, the funny thing is, I got the same platform 20 years ago too. It was all direct mail. I think that uh, the person we're talking about sent it to every person in the United States. Uh, so, yeah. no, right? I think everybody was at the time. We know we're talking about, and those who received it at the time know we're talking about as well. But definitely, I understand it was pure promotional hyping futures and commodities, and you could have made this and you could have made that again, like you said, without <clears throat> talking about the risks and the drawdowns and the leverage, you know, just it's all on hindsight. Having said that, so at some point after your trading, I understand you started taking interest more in automation. So tell me, why did you switch to automation? Um, from discretionary trading, because I believe you started as a discretionary trader, right? Right. I mean, I was I was trying uh, a lot of things way back then. So I, I would look at chart patterns and see if that worked, and okay, that didn't work. And then I would just try going by feel or intuition, and you know, a lot a lot of people out there chart their feelings, and oh, I you know. I feel good that the market's going to go up today, so I'll buy and kind of thing. And I went through that and lost money. Uh, there were uh, probably ten or different, ten or two different ways that I tried that I lost money. And the one thing that kind of stuck with me though was whatever I did, I should really be testing it first and making sure that it worked. You know, I, I realized that just because it used to work five, ten years ago, and even up to the current day doesn't mean it'll keep going forward but all things being equal I kind of like my chances with that that hey I'll I'll come up with rules I'll test the rules see if they work and if they did there's a reasonably good chance I felt that things would work going forward and so that's kind of how my trading evolved to this kind of algo trading but way back then it was more called system trading or mechanical trading. I've heard it called rule-based trading. But the whole premise is you get rules, you test them, and then going forward with it, you trade to those rules. And that kind of lends itself to the whole automation part of it, where once you have those rules defined in, you know, in computer code, it's relatively easy with most trading software to click a few buttons and then all of a sudden it will execute orders for you without you having to do really anything you know except for probably like rollovers of futures contracts and that kind of thing so it's automation becomes a a nice way to take that final step with a system or rules that you've developed and programmed and tested so it it all kind of ties together which i found very attractive so that actually, you know, listening to you, that leads me to my next question, which I hear from a lot of people and I see comments on, you know, blogs and forums. And a lot of people say, if my system was automated, I would have been a better trader. So if someone is not doing that well in discretionary trading, does automation always help them? No, I would say a lot of times probably automation might actually hurt them if their mm -hmm. discretionary trading isn't going good. It really comes down to figuring out why trading is not going good. And what I see with a lot of discretionary traders that I talk to 
is that they've never really tested their method. They have an inkling or, or some kind of feeling that it works, but they've never really tested their method. So a lot of Pictionary traders like trading quote-unquote price action. And you know, if you talk to them, they'll say, well, I trade price action. I look at a chart and you know, I, I look for failed highs, failed lows. You know, they look for certain things, but when you try to get them to put that into rules, any variables that they can never put it down to concrete rules. Oh, well, I wouldn't have gone long here, even though the last eight times it happened, I would have done it. That's what they say, you know, oh, I wouldn't have done it here. And oh, that trade turned out to be a loser, you know, I see that a lot. So the discretionary traders that can make good use of automation, I think are the ones that have rules that can be defined. And then it's just a matter of programming those rules and then letting the computer execute the buy and sell. So, uh, a lot of discretionary traders just can't do that or don't want to do that because they're afraid of the computer over, you know, overriding some of their judgment. You know, I, I used to see it in my own trading where sometimes the best trades that some of my system seem to be the ones I feel the most insecure, you know, the most unsure of, those tend to be some of the best trades, which is completely against what, how discretionary traders think. Right. That's actually a very good point because a lot of people rely on this thing that I stopped believing a long time ago, you know, which is intuition. There's a lot of psychological issues, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, confirmation bias, um, short periods of time of, of testing, you know, seeing what you want to see in the results. And when it comes to automation, you know, my next question is, do you have to take every signal in automation? And what are the pitfalls of being selective? Because, and, and again, basing it on, on your intuition. And it's very interesting what you said, because, you know, the, the, the trades that you're least sure of can work out better than the ones you're sure of in discretionary trading. So in automation, how do you apply it? Do you take every single trade? And if you don't take it, how do you base it outside of intuition and being selective? Well, I might be looking the way I do it. So my philosophy is you trade live what you've historically tested. So if you've tested where you're always taking trades and relying on intuition, then that's definitely the way you should trade live because you have this presumably is profitable, why would you think you can overrule it? Uh, you know, to me that defeats the test the purpose of testing. You know, why test it if you're just gonna overrule it? That being said, I said I'm kind of unique. I've talked to other algo traders and uh, some of them do turn systems off. Now they don't necessarily turn them off because of intuition, but they might turn them off because there's a specific news event coming up and they just want to be out of the market. To give you an example, the, the Brexit years ago, I know people who just turned their systems off before it because it was just so much market uncertainty and they were happy with the result. Personally, I kept going and I got creamed. I got nailed over Brexit, right at Brexit. I, I lost pretty big, but then I kept everything 
going, and in the next or so, I had actually made all that money back. So that was a, a good situation where, hey, I just trade the systems, and whatever happens, hap it's hard to do to to not want to overrule and and kind of use your intuition. And it's not to say you can't have this version of algo trading where you don't do it, but for most people, I think it's not a good idea. And for those of you who might be thinking of doing that, the one thing I would do is record everything. Be pretty rigid about your thing if you're going to do that. Of, hey, here's all the trades I took that I overruled because of intuition. And, you know, here's my results. If I would have just followed my system and done nothing, and here's my results with my intuition. And I think what most people will see is that their intuition over the long run hurts their results. They might not remember it that way because, you know, psychologically you tend to remember your losers and forget about your winners. Uh, at least I do. But that's a one way you could use intuition. But for most people, it's better just to, to trade exactly and not try to second guess or try to do better than it. That, that seems to work is the way I would tell most algo traders to do things. I, I agree with you. I think one of the problems that traders go through, whether they're discretionary traders or algo traders, and that's when the emotions kick in, it's during drawdown periods. You're very unique because you program your own programs. You, you do it all yourself. But people come up with ideas. They might program them. But they don't pay enough attention to the drawdowns. And when they occur, every system goes through a drawdown. There's no thing of a straight line in futures, at least not one that I've seen. And even riskier strategies that, you know, like option writing that could have severe drawdowns. But essentially, they don't take that into consideration when they trade systems. And that's what I mean. They override it sometimes with intuition, which they think is good. So. They have a few, you know, failing trades. They see drawdowns. You know, they shut it off, and then they think they can turn it off in a better period. And this mix of back and forth, you know, basically that could potentially lead to a good method and a good system, not leading to good results. So, having said that, in your opinion, okay, this is I, I want to give my um, listeners a little bit of a new perspective. So, what specific discipline is required in automation? that does not take place in discretionary trading? Is there some, something unique to an automated trader that the, a discretionary trader does not go through? Well, there's probably at least a couple things. I mean, the biggest thing is if you want to automate your trades and you want to go that route, you be able to program in whatever trading platform you're using. So you have to be able to define your rules so that a computer can analyze it and say buy or sell without you having to interpret chart, interpret uh, volume levels, uh, you know, on an order matrix or something, uh, you know, the order flow type thing. You don't want to have any input to it. Your input comes beforehand. And if you have to be able to do that. You have to be able to program. And if you can't program somebody to program it for you, you're in a lot of trouble. So that's that's like probably the biggest part with doing automation. 
And the second part is having the psychological makeup to be able to let go like that. Uh, and you know, I, I hear it over and over, and I could give you a bunch of stories if we had the time of people who, who have what are seemingly good systems that they've programmed in. So they've got the programming part done, and they've created a back test that, that looks good, and it's reasonable, and they followed all the proper steps. But to execute the system and turn on that automation, they can't help themselves by turning it off and, you know, kind of like what we talked earlier. They just, they don't have that psychological makeup to just let go and trust their system. There's that, that lack of trust. So those are things for anyone who's more of a discretionary trader of why they fail. Uh, you know, the, the funny thing is a lot of people, I've heard this a lot, where people will say, I'm going to automate my trading because then I'll trade without emotions. And every time I see it, I, I kind of laugh because it's the money that brings the emotions. As long as you have money on the table, you're going to have emotions, whether you trade discretionary, you trade automated, or some other hybrid way of doing it. There's going to be emotions involved. Emotions don't just because it's automated. They're, it's different than a discretionary trader. You know, you won't look at a trade and, ooh, should I take this trade or, or, you know, it looks like a good pattern. You won't have that question, but you'll have a question like, oh, should I take this, uh, you know, should I turn this system off because the last four trades have lost and, you know, maybe the system now is broken and, oh, and, you know, it drives you crazy. It can drive you crazy. So the emotions definitely are still there. They're just a little bit different when you automate, but the big thing is as long as money's in, and if and if one of those few people where, where the money doesn't matter, my response would be, well, why are you even trading that in the first place? You know, if it if money truly doesn't matter, I wouldn't think you'd be trading. I mean, ultimately, we all like to say, oh, the money's a byproduct of doing things right, and that's true, but. The money is absolutely important. I mean, that's why we do it. So those are the big things with automation versus kind of discretionary approach. I see. I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I've seen it happen many times too. It's a lot of people, you know, there's people out there that had the net worth and I don't think it would have affected them even the loss in their system. They did use the risk capital and they still have the same issues of turning it on and off and trading methods on and off instead of trading them consistently. I guess it's, I, I think, you know, from just my observation, okay, over the years, I see people change methods all the time and they don't give one method enough time, whether it's discretionary or automation. They have this idea that a system or some sort of a discretionary trading generates a certain level of income per month, per week. They don't understand equity curves. Um, and I'm not saying they don't understand. Some of them fully understand and read it. And yet when it happens in their account, it's hard for them to digest it. It's hard to digest the fluctuations. They have this, they have this image of their month, you know, certain level of income coming in and when then it goes flatline or goes to a losing streak. That's where all of a sudden they start thinking with their emotions and they override them with their decision making. So I, I agree with you. You know, I see that in both of them at the end of the day, it's a different discipline that has to be applied where you turn it on and off. 
and there in the discretionary you have to trade or not to trade so it's interesting so let's assume that you have a system that you want to automate but most people don't have programming skills so how do you go how do you go about it now my understanding is that you do program your own systems right you do know coding yes okay okay so what advice would and you give some yeah go ahead there's a couple ways to go uh, if you want to program you know if you, obviously you got to get the rules into the computer so you can either program it yourself or you can hire somebody to do that now a lot of the trading software that's out there the programming of it isn't so hard that it's impossible to do I mean there are some platforms that are based on some pretty detailed computer languages that you know take a little while to mask there's also some platforms that are pretty simple as far as the rule you know the uh, the programming language itself anyone who's ever programmed say even going back to like basic uh, which is a, an old language but if, if you have some experience doing something like that chances are you could program in a lot of the software languages that are out there as difficult as a lot of people make it out to be but at the same time it's something you do in 10 minutes and then all of a sudden create your rules and, and be done so it does take a little to one figure out which language you want to use uh, and that depends on the platform you're going to use because every trading platform has a different language so one trick that might help everybody is if you get a copy a recent copy of the magazine technical analysis commodities pretty well-known trading magazine usually what they do every issue is they'll have one either indicator or system that they make an example out of and have it programmed in high 10 to 15 or so or the exact number different platforms where you can either get it from the magazine or you go to the magazine's website and you can type it all you know you can download it and you can look at the different code and what I always tell people is well take a look at whatever system it is the system doesn't matter what matters is how the programming looks to you and if it looks like foreign language written by aliens uh, and you can't follow it and can't understand it at all that might not be a language for you but if you see one where you follow along and sort of understand what they're doing that might be a, langu a language and then therefore a platform that can fit you and you might be able to kind of click with and follow so that's something I recommend for people wanting to do it themselves. The other neat trick with programming is, depending on the platform, and a Google search will help you determine this, you can find tons of example code out there for different systems, you know, like moving average cross, typical stuff. But there is a lot out there, and I know people who've actually taken just what's out there and then they just start modifying it a little bit at a time you know so they don't have to program something from scratch uh, because that's intimidating you know nobody really wants to do that how did people will just take what's existing out there and just modify it and then test it and kind of go from there so that that's a pretty easy way to 
learn the language without really having to program you know from a, a dead stop all the time so that the preferred way to go with with programming i think you want to be able to program your your ideas and your strategies yourself you know the other thing you can do is you can hire a programmer and for some complicated things that might be a route to go but the the problem you run into then is you're going to spend a lot of time just helping the program program your strategy and it that comes at a cost too because anytime you want a little change oh you got to set a programmer and now it takes him a week to turn it around and and then he's going to charge you more for it and then what happens if that idea tests and it's off well now you got to program something else and send it to your programmer and you could end up fulfilling a programmer's dream style honestly because you could just give him stuff every day and pay him to program basically systems for you to test that turn out to be junk so i would kind of keep programmers in your back pocket of some boy if you can't figure it out how to program something and you can't get help from the trading software help people and there's a lot of support forms out there then maybe what you want to do is get a programmer to do the the really tough stuff you know the other thing i found which is kind of related to that is if you're programming something that's so difficult that you need a programmer chances are it is too complicated to actually work in real time uh, i've seen people with 20 30,000 line code in their strat trading strategy and they it works great in backtest it produces a smooth equity curve but it never works in real time the simple things usually work much better in real time but kind of what you said Matt before are systems that have drawdown immediately when people backtest they see those drawdowns and they oh I can't have that I need to add some rules and so they complicate a system and you know by programming it themselves and that's not necessarily the way to go either I, I agree with you you know I find again this is just from talking to our customers um, and programmers at the same time so they both give me input you know how they approach things so from the programmers you know a lot of them tell me that people come to them with half the variables that they need to build a program so they need to sit there, interpret the missing part. The part, for example, of risk management. Like they'll tell them, I have this signal, you know, that I need to be programmed. Then the program go, you know, he says, okay, I'll program it. But that's not a system, you know? And then they come back to the programmer and they say, I want my money because it didn't make me money. And the programmer said, it's not my job right, to make you money. Right, yeah, you know, people... My job is just to give you this, this signal. Or they say, you know, like you gotta have all the components for a system. You gotta have entry, exit, you know, risk management, all those things. So that's from their side. And and a lot of people, like you said, they have to define the rules, specific rules, right? And and you're a hundred percent also right that when they backtest it and there's systems, there's there's drawdowns, they they start adding all kinds of variables. If somebody approaches a programmer with only, let's say, you know two thirds of what needs to be in the system, 
he opens himself up to the interpretation of the programmer, of the missing part. And a lot of the programmers are not traders, meaning that they're just programmers. And now I'm, I'm not belittling their skills, but I'm just saying sometimes they have theoretical ideas that now they have to turn into practical ideas. And the person, you know, he says, okay, let's do it. But that, that's not his method. That's not his risk tolerance. That's not what he wanted from the first place. So, you know, I find that people, when it comes to that, they don't approach that working with a program in the right way either. Just, just from what, you know, is my perspective on it. Right. That, I definitely okay. agree. And I'm sure some people came to you and they said, I have a magical moving average, right? Can you program it for me? <laughs> <laughs> I get that every I'm once sure. in a while. Where... I'm sure you do. I'm sure you and, do. Yeah, it's... A... A lot of it, you're right, it is, it's kind of a half-baked idea, and it might be very good, but um, <laughs> it's a whole it. thing before you go off with it. Agreed. Let's move to the, you know, to the, a little bit more of a general trading world right now. Tell me, do you feel that HFTs and algos affect traders today? In what way do they affect them? Meaning that there are people out there that believe that because of the way that HFTs and algos operate, it prevents them from being profitable. I wanted to know your specific perspective of how you deal, you know, as an individual trader in the world that is dominated by algos and HFTs. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, a lot of the things that are out there, you know, the, the bigger firms, the results they publish say they're making money. You know, they usually say they're making money almost every day or whatever. And you know, in the futures world, just any market by itself, it's as so, which means every dollar that's made by someone is lost by somebody else. So if all these HFTs are making money, you know, that money's coming from somewhere. So I do think that these and the algos, uh, the high-speed algos that are out there, do uh, affect every trader. Uh, I think where you've really seen this is a lot of the traders who like to scalp for a tick here, tick there, and uh, you know that's what they're happy with. They get hurt more because now they're doing more transactions than a swing trader, and these algos might be jumping in front of them and pushing the price up a little bit. So, so now all of a sudden, what used to take uh, maybe a one or two tick movement for these retail people to be profitable is a two or three tick movement. So, you know, it just makes life harder for them. And so, what I usually tell people is, yeah, the algos are out there, the HFTs are out there. They've got all this infrastructure to do things high speed. You know, you're not going to beat them at that tail trader. You, know, you just can't. You don't have the resources. They spend millions and millions of dollars making sure all their setup, you know, their computer, their link to the exchange and all that is running faster than anything so they can get in. So we can't really compete as retail traders in that particular realm. But what you can do is go where they're less prevalent and a lot of for example a lot of the trading I do is more swing trading trading a system maybe 50 times a year 
So maybe one trade a week. And if, if you think, well, okay, the, the overall effect of, of high frequency trading is maybe it costs you a, a tick or two more per trade. Okay, we do 50 trades a year. That's not a huge amount to pay. But if you're doing 50 trades a day and every time you're getting penalized an extra tick or so by these uh, high-speed algos, that adds up. And that's hard to overcome. So the answer, you know, I, you know, they are a market player, and so they are pushing things so that they can make a profit. And a lot of times, that profit might come at the expense of smaller traders or just, you know, the whole rest of the trading world. But that doesn't mean all hope was lost, and you know, that we have hope as retail traders of making money. I mean, we still can. It's just, you know, the game might be a little tougher. I agree with you. I think, you know, look at the markets like over the last 100 years, institutions always had an advantage over retail. HFT is just one of them. Sometimes they had more knowledge. Sometimes they had the speed of information. A lot of, you know, back when I started, there was research that was available only to brokers and now it's available to retail. But I think retail came a very long way. You know, in terms of speed of execution, platforms, the ability to program your own automation, all those things. So I always remind retail traders to look at the advantages that they have. And like you said, no go, not to go head to head with HFTs, like you said, with scalping strategies and things like that. At least they should know that, you know, what, what they're up against. A lot of people in the retail world, sometimes I get emails and they say, I trade a high frequency system. And they don't realize that HFT relates to time. You know, frequency is time, so it's speed of execution, not the frequency of trading that they actually do. So I tell them you're a scalper or you might trade frequently, but you're not HFT yet. So if we talk about HFTs, you know, in the last year, we actually just a few days ago, we had major corrections. I think the Dow corrected, I think, 1,600 points in one at one point in two days, in uh, the unfortunate event of February 5th, where we had a market, I think, that fell 1,000 points right after the close in the Dow. Do you think that all those market corrections are larger because of algorithmic trading? So we see bigger corrections today in the market, and people should really focus a lot more on risk management because of that component of computerized trading? Yeah, I mean, that that's a, a great point. I'm sure that it's due to cause those corrections to be a little more severe or a little quicker than they used to be. They certainly, it seems like the markets, and not just the stock market, but also a lot of the futures markets, that they just have these rapid moves. Uh, that could be due to algos. It could be due to just different players than in years past. But... The reality is, you know, it's there, and whatever the cause, you definitely have to keep an eye on risk management a little bit more just to make sure that if there are these kind of rapid, quick actions and, and quick upswings, because I've seen it go to the upside too, where things just take off, that you have to be aware of it. You know, and, and you know, some of it too could be related to news cycles where, you know, now. As soon as something happens, you're hearing about it in Twitter, and so there's not a delay like when a news event would happen, and it would take the market a little bit to, to digest, and 
you know, make its move. It happens almost instantaneously now. There's, there are a lot of algos out there that go off of news that just read a news report and make trades, which happened, that couldn't have happened 20 years ago. It, the technology just didn't. That part, and I think the other thing that algos might be causing too is just most markets, if you look at the prices over the past few years, a lot of marketility has actually gone down. So somebody listening might say, well, wait a minute, you just said there's sharper corrections. That would imply there's more volatility. Now you're saying there's less. What's going on? And it actually is both, where the upswings and downswings can be much more dramatic. But at the same time, over time, the volatility just isn't as high. You know, if you look at just a lot of people use like average true, uh, average true range kind of as a proxy for it. If you look at some markets, I would say like soybeans or something, you know, the volatility, the daily movement in soybeans 10 years ago was a lot more than what you're seeing today. It's just about half of it. So there used to be a lot more movement. Now, is that due to algos? Because everything's just happening more quickly. But in the end, I think the, the big takeaway is regardless of algos causing it or whatever, but the markets are constantly changing. And I think that's the big thing. So, you know, we talked about you want to have a, a back test that's historically tested. But at the same time, you also have to realize that the history might be different. Uh, a good example I had in uh, my first book that I wrote back in 2000, I wrote it in 2013. It came out in 2014. And in it, I had a couple strategies for the euro, and wouldn't you know, about six months after the book came out, those systems, uh, they didn't fail, but they just kind of went to sort of a break-even that where before they were profitable. And when I went and looked at what was going on, the one thing that had happened in that period of time was the euro volatility went to like historic lows. So this was something I never tested for, and it's those systems. So that's one of the, the key takeaways that people who are looking to do algo systems and, and build those kind of things is you always got to keep in mind that the markets might change a whole lot, and that could impact your results too, not just building systems correctly, but just the way the markets change over time. I agree. Um, <clears throat> one thing I wanted to add to what you said on top of you know, all the algorithmic trading, uh, the financial community as a whole invents financial products all the time. There's always new products. For example, you were talking about the volatility that you know has, has gone down over the last two years as reflected in, you know, in a lot of measures. But I agree with you, it has gone down. So they created, for example, you know, part of the events that happened on February 5th, you had uh, <clears throat> something called XIV, which is a fund that's trading the, that was trading the opposite of, you know, that had an inverse relationship to the VIX. As, as the VIX went down, you know, those, those, the, the value of the fund has gone up. And there was, I think at the time, if I'm not mistaken, it was about $2 billion over there. So the minute that 
by the way, in the prospectus of the fund, it actually said that it could go to zero in one day. I don't know why anybody would invest in something like that, but that's a different story. Um, Got to read the little print, but essentially, you know, it's it, it was going up for many years. So when this thing collapsed, you know, the the VIX spiked 150%. That affected obviously the value of the options, which the, the VIX measures. That led to the decline of the future. So I think today you have so many fun. I, I think they. It's not so much that that you know. Algorithmic trading firms are affecting the market per se, but I think it's all the algorithmic uh, products that were created across the board that just affect one another, and it's like a domino effect. And I don't think we've seen that before. We haven't seen that many, you know, funds and so many institutions. Like I'll give you an example. Now we're in Florida, so there's a thing called disaster bonds, right? So disaster bonds they pay a very high yield unless there's a disaster that occurs and then the principal gets wiped out and then everybody goes to cash. So endowment funds, mutual funds, or um, not mutual funds, like hedge funds, you know, they, they carry those kind of instruments. And when the disaster hits, they turn everything into cash. And that if, even if they have equities or, or futures or anything, they go flat on them, right? And that thing kind of affects. We always hear in the news, they always have to attach some sort of a variable they have to attach a reason to why something is happening but it's not always something that is really known it, it might come out months later what caused it or anything like that but this is this, this huge variety of, of a financial instrument that's the difficulty so when you manage your risk um you know you have to know that you, you've got to be able to go in and, and, and get yourself out as soon as possible in case you see something that you haven't seen before and not try to figure out why and things like that. But then again, that's risk management. Um, my next question to you is, what is the next gen of trading? Is it artificial intelligence? Um, how do you see trading evolves from here, let's say? you know, and, and I know it's a very hard question, but just an assumption, you know, based on your involvement in the algorithmic trading, where do you think, you know, the retail is going or institutions or just trading in general? Where, where do we see the next advances in technology? Okay. Yeah. That, I mean, that is a tough question. I'll tell you, a lot of people seem to think that soon enough all trading will be done via computers with no human intervention. And so a lot of people are looking at artificial intelligence and, and uh, you know, people talk about big data and machine learning. I, I get a lot more about machine learning now than I did four or five years ago. And I suspect that will only increase. And there's also a ton more people involved in go trading than it was maybe five years ago even, but certainly compared to 20 years ago when very few, you know, there was only one or two software platforms that could even do it. Now there's tons of different software platforms. There's there's a bunch of companies out there actually encourage people to develop systems and they work with them. Um, so there's a lot more, I think there's a lot more competition because everybody's thinking they can do it. So the future of all this is probably, I don't know which way it's going to go technology-wise. You know, I've looked at some machine learning type things and, you know, they kind of scare me because I see people doing a lot of things with machine learning that just doesn't seem to apply to trading. Like, it's one thing to 
use machine learning to look at causes of cancer or cancer treatments, for example, where you can study cancer and, you know, cancer isn't necessarily going to respond to how people are analyzing it compared to the markets where the markets are the way people are analyzing it because it involves all these people making all these decisions. So it's a whole different thing. So where machine learning might work for diseases and stuff, I don't necessarily know if it'll work right for finance. Uh, maybe it but what I see is a lot of people doing things incorrectly and they're still making the same mistakes whether they're using standard programming or artificial intelligence or genetic algorithms, machine learning, all this stuff. They're still developing systems incorrectly and they're still overfitting, you know, trying to, to make this perfect uh, data and perfect equity curves and no drawdowns and that kind of thing. And that's, I think as long as humans are involved in the decision-making part of it, I think you're still going to have that. And on the flip side, let's say that artificial intelligence takes off and you know, most of the trading becomes artificial intelligence driven just by computers. There still might be some little pieces that retail traders can take advantage of that are going to be just too smart some of these big funds, big hedge funds are doing all this research where they just can't deal with certain markets or certain conditions. So, you know, a lot of times they have to build up these huge positions where you and I can maybe go in with one contract, five contracts, and not have to take over the as far as the position. So I think there will always be a, some room for retail traders, but at the end of the day, I do think things are tough today, and I think tough tomorrow or tougher, and they'll be tough five years from now. You know, I I've been time about just over ten years, and I can tell you, it's I, I don't feel like it's that much easier today than it was ten years ago. It's it's a constant struggle. You know, it, it's it's almost like if you're a professional athlete and you're on a team, if you were good last year, it doesn't mean you're going to be good this year because there's, or you're even going to have a position because there's always new people coming up, doing things a little different, training different, and, and they're there to take your job. And, you know, in, in the case of algo traders, those people are there to take the money that you were trying to take. So the competition's always going to be there. Maybe it will get tougher with the next generation, you know, maybe it won't. Uh, it's, it's hard to say. I, I agree with you. I think you hit uh, the nail on the head. The key word is evolving, right? So just like the industry evolves, traders have to evolve as well, you know. Um, I hear sometimes people say, you know, I'm invested in my indicators. Sometimes it's indicators they bought from like third party, you know, they've been looking at them for five years. And they say, I'm invested in them. And I, that's the one thing that just kind of never sits right with me when they say things like that. I understand where they're coming from. But at the same time, I, I always say when you say things like that, that's exactly the opposite of what a trader should say. A trader should always be flexible, always look at the environment, not necessarily saying you always have to change your method inside and out, but always think about in the context of the market, what you can do to improve things in case they don't go your way. And, you know, 
the interesting thing is, is that I have books about trading in my house from the 30, from the 20s, 30s, 40s, and I've also recent ones that that you know that I try to read that came out recently. I, I got to tell you, if you pick up a, a chapter about discipline from the 40s and a chapter about you know discipline, you know something that was written last year, I challenge anybody to tell me which year it was written. You know which one was written in the past and which one was written now. Very hard to tell. They always talk about the same thing. So the fundamentals really right. didn't, you know, didn't change as far as discipline, evolving as a trader, backtesting it, you know. And this is honestly, this is why I wanted to bring you here. Somebody who applies it in in an automated manner, which is always very, very interesting. That is it, uh, Kevin. I don't have any more questions. Um, any final words to our traders out there? Really interested in in algo trading. Mentioned my book earlier, which is uh, that's the second book I wrote, which is Intro to Algo Trading, which if, if you don't know anything about algo trading and you just want to get some of the real basics, that might be a good book to an hour or two. It's real short, but I tried to make it because so many people would ask me, well, how do I, what is it? How do I get into it? And this is a real simple book. And it's kind of funny because uh, there's a couple one-star reviews on Amazon and the one-star review said, well, this is a good book as an intro, which is <laughs> exactly what So I'm like, well, I think I did my job. but um, So that's a, a good place to start. I also wrote a book back in 2014, uh, which I mentioned earlier. It's called Building Winning Algorithmic Trading Systems. And that's for the more intermediate to advanced trader. Uh, you know, It kind of goes through the process I use. It also gives you more of my trading story and something for people to look at. So, you know, that's one thing I would say. And the other thing, too, is for people out there looking for either education or brokers or, or something, be skeptical and try to establish some trust with whoever you're dealing with. So, for example, you and I, Matt, have been talking on and off for, I don't know how many years, six, seven years at least. And right. the thing that always impressed me about you is you are full and you're down to earth and you know you say something and you follow through and so many out there don't do that you're just a, a number to them and you know they don't care and if you need help well too bad you know once you deposit your check you know that, that's the last you hear of the epoker and that's huge for people who who need some help which especially in the beginning just about everybody does. and so those, what I'm telling your listeners is, is look for people that you can trust. And yeah, you're not going to be able to see that from a website or an email that you get from somebody. But over time, it becomes apparent from talking to somebody, whether it's in person or via email or looking at their blog, of who is just spouting BS in this industry and who is really kind of looking out for you. And, you know, just as an example, Matt, I put you in the category of, hey, you're looking out for people. You're not in it to make a quick buck and drain, you know, have people drain their accounts and give you a lot of commissions. And that's huge uh, because trading is really hard. I mean, anyone who tells you, I think it's lying, and and they're lying for a reason. They they want somehow want your money, <laughs> and you know the people like you who are truthful and say, hey, it, it's kind of difficult, 
Uh, you you got to listen to them. And that's that's the big thing I'd want your list to understand. You know, thank you. I, I feel the same way about you. I think um, during the years of communication, I think you always pointed out to the challenges that there are in trading. So, you know, I say every vendor, you know, attracts the type of customers or the type of people that think along the, the way that he or she does. So, for example, you know, my approach has never been euphoric to trading. I tell people about the challenges which strive to be perfect. We're not perfect, but we always strive. Sometimes, you know, I fall behind, but I try to catch up on things that, that I promise. But my approach is always to tell people how the reality of trading, because I find that those people who think the same way as I do, I think they will trade for many years to come. And I think you're doing the same thing for your customers. You're talking about the challenges of trading. Uh, sorry, I'm still laughing about the one-star review you got. You said this is an intro and the title of the book, <laughs> Intro to Algo Trading. It's like, okay. Um, but I, I think you're putting very good content out there as well um, that will help people in the long run. It makes them think. I think most people, you know, it's interesting. You said how you started back in the day from the pamphlet. You picked it up. You were interested in commodities. A guy was obviously hyping it, and, and, and hype is an understatement, to the product. And then you said, okay, hold on. Let me look at the variables. You know, this is not this easy, but let's see how it's done right. And I think you just have to guide people in the right direction. If you guide them in the right direction, I think they can, they'll be able to make intelligent decisions. I always say the customer is always right if it's given all the right input. So we don't make decisions for customers, but we definitely want to give them all the right input. So to everybody out there, please go um, you know, to Amazon or to Google, Kevin Davey, Intro to Algo Trading. Find this books out there, definitely highly recommended. I wanted to thank you for your time, and I hope uh, you'll join us again in the future. All right. Well, thanks, Matt. I enjoyed talking to you as, as I always do. You're a good guy. Thank you. Feel the same way. Thank you, and to our listeners, thank you very much. You can check out our site at www.optimusfutures.com, and I look forward to hearing from you and learning your business. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, thank you, Jake, as well, for helping us with the recording. Uh, that's it for now. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Optimist Futures podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, in Google+, Plus, all under the username Optimus Futures. If you have any questions, feel free to send us an email to support at OptimusFutures.com or give us a call directly at 561-367-8686 or toll free at 1-800-771-6748. Once again, thank you for listening to the Optimus Futures podcast. Please remember that this matter should be viewed as a solicitation to trade. Trading futures and options involves substantial risk of loss and is not suitable for all investors. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results. You should therefore carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for you in light of your financial condition. Optimus Futures LLC is not affiliated with, nor does it endorse any trading system, methodologies, newsletter, or similar service. We urge you to conduct your own due diligence.